Come on, Jimmy. Who are you going to fight against when this balloon of yours goes up? Forces of anarchy. Wreckers of law and order. See? Communists, Maoists, Trotskyists, Neo-Trotskyists, Crypto-Trotskyists, Union leaders, Communist Union leaders. See? Atheists, agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hug the government love. The government hug the government love. The government so, Don, why is 1967 important? Well, I think it's important because last year there, were, there was a great deal of uh, media interest in the uh, anniversary of the uh, 1967 Sexual Offences Act. Uh, and it was depicted as the decriminalisation of homosexuality. Though, in truth, of course, it wasn't the decriminalisation of homosexuality. What was decriminalised was homosexual men over the age of 21 in private was made uh, was made no longer a criminal offence. But everything that gay men did to get into the room with each other uh, was illegal. We continued to be soliciting for an immoral purpose, licentious dancing, etc. Licentious et dancing? Yeah, etc, etc. So it legalised what nobody ever got caught for. If Oscar Wilde came, uh, was, was brought up under the terms of the 1967 Act, he would face uh, uh, a larger uh, uh, sentence, uh, per, uh, maximum sentence, um, because, of course, uh, uh, everything Oscar Wilde did was illegal under the 67 <laughs> Act. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that uh, everything that gay men did, as I say, you know, to meet each other, get off with each other and so on, was uh, in one way or another unlawful under the terms of the 67 and continued to be so. So the interesting uh, thing about the, the media attention to the 67 Act was that it somehow wants to see the, the emancipation of homosexuals as proceeding from the legislative change in 1967. So Don, do you see that as a pivotal moment in 1967? Or do you think it's given more attention than it deserves? Or? I, th I think it's, it's given, it, it's an important piece of legislation uh, uh, for, for this reason. And that is that once it was realised that if it was okay for homosexuals to be with each other in private, then it must be okay logically for them to do everything that's necessary for them to be in private so it opened up the question within five or six years uh, that homosexuals should be able to meet each other publicly should be able to dance etc uh, etc et so it was a significant piece of legislation in that respect but of course the the real opening of the the struggle for the emancipation of homosexuals in, in the modern period uh, comes in the early 1950s with the um, prosecutions of Wild Blood and various other leading uh, uh, personalities like uh, uh, journalists and so on uh, were arrested for cottaging. Uh, and uh, this alarmed uh, the authorities in the sense that uh, it led to the Moral Welfare Council of the Church of England suggesting that uh, that there should be reform uh, in 1952. So the thing, the uh, emancipation of gay people legally emerges actually from the Moral Welfare Council of the Church of England. <laughs> That's quite the irony. <laughs> it is, because... They, they were concerned that these otherwise respectable members of uh, the middle class and the upper middle class were being criminalised. Um, and so uh, what flowed from that was the, the Wolfenden Committee. And the Wolfenden Committee took some years to, uh, uh, to uh, make its recommendations, but it made its recommend recommendations in 1957. And in 1957... Uh, they advocated uh, a process of decriminalisation, which it then took another 10 years to achieve uh, uh, in 1967. So there's a whole long process uh, of, uh, of the decriminalisation ideas and arguments, which had nothing to do with liberation or with equality. 
so do you think that this was a moment was because it was a legislative victory rather than say a campaigning victory or an activist victory or or did they coincide do you think well i mean there there it was a lobbying victory i mean there's mm. the sense of the the influential the uh, the great and the good around the church of england the great and the good uh, in in certain liberal and legal circles uh, were involved and uh, the the Northern Law Reform League, which was a homosexual organisation that later became, uh, became the campaign for homosexual equality much later, uh, they actually did lobby uh, intensively over the years, but there was no public a- activity or public campaigning. So like no demos, no protests? No, no, it was... It was it's too dangerous. Uh, I suppose there was the the, the old adage uh, that the older homosexuals used to say when when uh, uh, when I was coming out was uh, it was important not to frighten the horses in the street. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the idea that somehow um, this had to be. Uh, it was an advance uh, that that could be approached through liberal intellectuals, really. Rather like uh, opposition to hanging. We all know that the masses believe in hanging, mm-hmm. uh, but in fact, we're not going to allow them to have hanging. We're going to abolish it. Right? And in a similar way, there was a general fear that the general society was not ready for uh, uh, homosexual rights, but we intellectuals are. Right? So there was that sort of tension. But I think none of this takes into account the, the fact that Society in these years was undergoing massive changes, absolutely huge changes in economic and social life. Right. And do you think? Well, how do you think that manifested itself? That how? What was the conjunction between economics, social life, that laid the sort of the groundwork for sort of gay liberation to ultimately take place, or the, uh, if not necessarily liberation, steps towards gay liberation take place? Well, if you if you think about the the fierce discipline, moral and otherwise, uh, uh, of working class life uh, in the in the in what might be called the industrial age, fierce discipline. That's an interesting phrase. Yes, so it's a fierce uh, discipline imposed upon people, both by trade unions, by uh, uh, working class institutions of all kinds, and by employers, and by the the nature of the workplace. People in the past worked in typing pools, vast rooms uh, composed entirely of women sitting at large uh, manual typewriters with a supervisor sitting at the front uh, disciplining everybody. Uh, And it was a completely uh, rigorous uh, and open form of of, uh, discipline was imposed upon people in a typing pool. Similarly, uh, that was women, but similarly in, in tool-making workshops or industrial workshops of various kinds, workers all operated in big rooms, in big spaces with charge hands, uh, foremen, uh, 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 supervisors of all kinds. Uh, imposing rigorous discipline. A bit of hierarchical? Absolutely absolutely hierarchical uh, situation in which rigorous discipline was imposed upon people. And the trade unions, of course, reflected that with a hierarchy of Jews collectors, shop stewards, conveners, and so on. So there was a a corresponding hierarchy within the the trade union um, movement as well. So in that industrial world in that world that were that that dominated uh, the the 1950s and had actually been in place since probably the 1880s whatever that kind of social structure uh, um, was uh, opposed to difference it was absolutely necessary for people to be the same difference was regarded as dysfunctional so abnormal and disruptive and disruptive disruptive and dysfunctional uh, and the the capitalist class believed that consequently they uh, all their moral laws and moral codes and so on both formal and informal uh, were all calculated to discourage difference and and uh, and to see it as disruptive and sim- that was similarly the case in the labor movement and in the trade unions 
that unity was unity. It was unity of people who should not get above themselves. They should all be stick it stick together in the same uh, uh, room that they worked in, the same pit, the same village, the same working men's club, etc., etc., etc. So solidarity, or the conception of solidarity was quite conventional, quite narrow, quite homogeneous. Would that be right? Yes, Fair absolutely. It was, was, was certainly conservative, yes. And that, that dominated the whole, uh, the whole of one's life. And in fact, you can see in, um, uh, in uh, a number of uh, uh, literary works and movies and so on, by the end of the 50s, that this is beginning to be challenged, you know, in kitchen sink dramas and so on. There is the the uh, the uh, uh, the idea of of resistance against this homogeneity, and this uh, idea of a homogeneous working class life, and so on. And this, of course, is is also disrupted. Then racially, is disrupted by the the the, the arrival in large numbers of uh, Afro Caribbean people, which constantly, uh, which then disrupts and dismays large, uh, you know, traditional working class communities in all sorts of ways. More important, of course, is the is the rising in living standards and the changes in the structure of industry. So living standards rise throughout the 1950s into the 70s. There were ups and downs, of course, but, but living standards rise. Um, and at the same time, uh, there is an, a, a, rising, uh, a rise in clerical and administrative and salaried occupations also increase uh, 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 with a corresponding uh, uh, decline in industrial occupations. So there are technical and social uh, 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 changes taking place in society that disrupt the, 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 the idea that homogeneity and uh, 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 is 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 what we're striving for, and uh, uh, difference is dysfunctional. This is beginning to be disrupted on a massive scale, both racially, both in terms of uh, so we're talking gender. The sixties, late sixties, from this well, moment. then the, the the late fifties, late fifties, the late fifties. Also, kind of culminated in in sixty seven. Right? Culminates it culminates in that, but uh, of course there are there are you know. Uh, uh, Big changes uh, uh, culturally taking place. Uh, the, the almost tectonic shifts take place between the late fifties and the late sixties. For example, music and well, no, I mean, I'm I'm talking about the the underpinnings of the, of society. You know, the 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 emergence of of uh, of a, a a wider cultural. Uh, disruption of uh, of the, the previous arrangement of things, the arrangement of the industrial world was being broken up, right? as was the empire was being broken up with the wind of change and Macmillan in 57, 56, uh, 57, 58 rather, um, uh, and the, the, the progressive breakup of the, of the empire uh, was also part of this process. So there was a massive changes in the both in the oligarchic arrangements of the way society was organised and politics was organised. Uh, uh, you only need to listen to the accents of people uh, in, interviewed on on BBC Radio or or, or whatever, um, and in the movies of the of the period to uh, to now to realise how so extraordinarily hidebound this society was. In fact, it was so hidebound that I, for instance, I worked in a job in the early um, 60s in Southwark uh, in London. What was the job? And the job was I was working uh, as, uh, as a clerk in an, in an office uh, 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 calculating the discount ratings on, on uh, piles and piles of dockets. The kind of job that could be done now by an Excel spreadsheet, a formula in an Excel spreadsheet. But in those days, there were 20 lads and a, and a chief clerk sat at the front. But in this particular firm, Robustos Balaco, there was a lift and uh, people of my rank were not allowed to ride in the lift. 
but being a bolshy kid, I always rode in the lift, and nobody in the lift dared, none of the superior people in the lift ever dared to question my right to be there, except I was taken to one side by the chief clerk, because they'd obviously made complaints to him uh, uh, about this. And uh, uh, if you you said that now to a young person now, they look at you as if you were mad. The very idea that a 16 or 17-year-old kid working in a big office block couldn't ride in the lift because of their rank would be considered utterly mad and bizarre. There was a kind of a quiet case system in Britain back in those days, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. And so those kinds of changes were just extraordinary. They were mad, you know, these kind of impositions, which were all to do with an externalising of... control really and how did this manifest itself in i guess gay life in the gay activist movement well was there there more freedom well no no there was no there was there was no more freedom there was uh, a you know extraordinary uh repression which continued uh uh, up to 67 and after it Uh, uh the difference was that this breakup uh of this world of this highly uh, 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 regimented world, the breakup of this world resulted in much wider discussion of sexuality, for instance. Not homosexuality, but of sexuality, much wider discussion of it. Uh, and the emergence of a discussion of, uh, an explicit discussion of homosexuality comes in the in behind this. So you had probably perhaps like the feminist movement coming to fruition yeah. and... Well, and you, you, you get the, the invention of the contraceptive pill, uh, which comes, I think, 1961, something like that. Uh, so you get the emergence of much more effective contraception, a much wider uh, discussion of, of sexuality. And also, of course, um, uh, at that time, young people went to what well, I've started work at full-time work at, at 15 and young people had incomes and were more or less independent of their parents by the time they were 18 or 19 unlike now um, so the discussion of sexuality the way in which people uh, related to things was opened up and consequently there were there was uh, there were um, a number of movies and plays and so on that raised the question of homosexuality. Uh, uh, what for you would be a good example of those plays or those movies? Because it might not be. Uh, there was a there was a there was a movie uh, in the early six early sixties called Victim, uh, which was about the uh, blackmail of a of a homosexual man. Uh, there was later in the sixties there was the killing of Sister George. Which was about uh, uh, about uh, an actress in a in a soap, a lesbian act- actress in a soap opera, who was written out of the soap opera. She was killed in an accident in the soap opera, but it was about her relationship and the world and so on. So there were a number of things going on. A number of discussions were beginning to take place, um, but it took a it took an unconscionable length of time for it to dawn on the authorities uh, that that difference was not dysfunctional. Uh, and the, the, the gay movement that everybody, uh, or most people are aware of, the idea of gay liberation and so on, emerges from the riots in New York in 1969. Is that the Stonewall riots? In the Stonewall riots in, uh, in New York. Uh, and that in, in London that resulted in the formation of the Gay Liberation Front, 1960, late 1969, 1970. It's quite an interesting story, that, isn't it, what happened at the, the Stonewall riots, wasn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's a story of how basically um, police were uh, police were sort of uh, barricaded into, um, into uh, the Stonewall pub. They, they, they were, yeah, yeah, they were they were doing the usual thing. They were just raiding the place and harassing people, uh, and so there was a riot. It was a tipping point. Yeah, there was a riot against them. There had been a riot earlier in the, on the west coast uh, of uh, people which couldn't be taken up uh, as a cause celeb because it was mainly transsexuals and transvestites and so on, and they were utterly disreputable people. Uh, uh, it's rather like they the. the the, the, when the the um, 
the the black liberation movement in America, they chose the 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 woman who's uh, who who sat down on the bus. What was her name? I forgot. Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. In fact, there was a number of uh, of women before Rosa Parks, but they were. Uh, single parents and weren't respectable and so on so they were never taken up by the movement <laughs> and, so you need your poster yeah. Giles, yeah? <laughs> that's right um, so so st- the Christopher Street riot uh, and the Stonewall Bar became the the core celeb that was kind of respectable and, and that then helped precipitate uh, you feel change in Britain yeah well it it, it, it resulted in, in there being the emergence of a movement in Britain and that movement comes out in, in fact the, the 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 summer of love and the idea of uh, uh, the 68 and so on so all these young people are discussing sexuality and uh, uh, free love and so on is being mooted and discussed and homosexuals in order to participate in this had to come out there was no way of, right? there was no way of, of if you, your contribution was going to be more stronger if you actually were gay yeah. you, you couldn't you couldn't uh, uh, you couldn't participate in this unless you came out and so the old homosexual world which continued for many years afterwards of uh, surreptitious uh, 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 encounters uh, closed gay bars uh, and uh, under the carpet uh, kind of life uh, which continued, but could not actually articulate uh, uh, the need for for reform and so on in any dynamic way. Uh, but the so the gay liberation movement starts, uh, to say, in London, and uh, then spreads to the the a number of provincial cities and centres, uh, and raises uh, uh, makes the issue discussable, basically. Uh, it, Discussable in in trade union branches in the in the Labour Party. That's a start, right? That's yeah, a start. It's not right. maybe not livable yet, but it's it's no, it's, no, it's that's a right. Step in the right direction. That's right, absolutely. And so, uh, 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 and so these changes uh, go on, but these underlying changes that really bring about the change actually accelerate. Of course, there's the whole process of deindustrialization, uh, which uh, is headlong in the in the eighties. And the whole uh, emergence of a modern economy, in which uh, in which it finally dawns on the employers that communication and difference are um, are key questions. They're they're not dysfunctional to the the, the accumulation of capital in any sense whatsoever. Right? <laughs> and in fact, in fact, the modern workplace, even if you work for a huge enterprise. A huge company. The modern workplace is a small, relatively small number of people working together, where teamwork matters, uh, uh, where good communication matters, compromise, uh, uh, and uh, engagement with the with the with the the uh, superordinate goals of the employers uh, matters. You know, really uh, uh, engaging the personality with the job actually matters in a way that that you couldn't do in in a in an engineering workshop or or in a uh, of the old type or of uh, uh, a typing pool or whatever you couldn't uh, uh, expect that in the old world but in the modern uh, arrangement because of technical and social changes uh, that takes place that actually difference of different races different religions uh, uh, different genders and so on uh, is is no longer a problem. And did you feel that this was at the time, just for you personally? Even was this? How did it feel? Did this feel sort of somewhat emancipatory? Is there something liberatory about it, or was it helpful? Well, to, well, to start with, I think uh, in common with most people on the left, one didn't recognise this was happening at all. I'm being wise after the event here, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't. I, th- I think that. You, you know, we believe certainly in the seventies. We believe that it, that uh, equal rights and emancipation of any sort was impossible under capitalism. Uh, we didn't understand that capitalism was uh, was about to go through the most astonishing changes that would result in the legal emancipation of homosexuals. I mean, legal emancipation is one thing; real emancipation is a different matter, of course. But uh, uh, 
and we don't get that until uh, until the the, the intervention of so the major things government. felt pretty much the same, even yes. despite these incremental yes. positive steps. They, they changed very fundamentally with the really with the emergence of of the struggle uh, 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 takes place within the. Um, within the major government, major didn't succeed in getting anything through because of the House of Lords and various reactionary Tories, but major tried to do things, tried to equalise things. And that was that the baton was then handed over to to um, uh, Tony Blair and then Cameron. And Tony Blair and Cameron completed the process. So we got equal rights by about 2014, I think. Uh, and so, yeah, the Lib Dem coalition. That's right. The so there was the the legal the, the and the process was the legalizing of the age of consent. So legalizing that, taking it down from eighteen, it had been moved to eighteen, but down from eighteen to sixteen. So it was the same. It was equal with heterosexual age of consent. Uh, the equalizing of the age of consent, the right to uh, civil partnerships, and then the right to marriage. This then completes the. So in this in the seventies, you were still feeling part of a conventional world as a gay person. Oh, absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah. and the and the the uh, uh, and the penalties for for coming out openly gay were considerable. You know, in terms of uh, of uh, losing jobs and uh, etc. This must have felt intolerable. Well, yes, it was intolerable, uh, and uh, and the. You know, most homosexual people actually manage this uh, carefully by a double life, by discretion, uh, uh, and so on. Whereas, and that was a problem. Of course, if you were campaigning for change, you couldn't be discreet. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so that was that was the. So, for people like me, that was a you know the decisive problem. Yeah. So you, you were born, as you said, you were born in 1945. You said, yeah. Right, so post-war baby, basically. Yes. Baby boomer almost, probably. Are you no, no, even before a baby. I'm before older baby than the baby boomer. Are you? Okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, so you were of a generation that was very much entrenched in sort of very conservative homogeneous values. And that was your lived experience. Exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah. so I grew up in that world, in the, in the world of homogeneity so to speak yeah, and you yes. become your normal doesn't it yes yeah. that's right so so the 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 radical gay movement the gay liberation movement of one kind or another was composed of very marginalized people by and large who were uh, 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 intrinsically eccentric I mean the, you couldn't be anything else right and so uh, People hung on to the margins of society in various ways, in squatting and so on, and in terms of uh, theatre groups and various uh, activist uh, milieu. Uh, so uh, uh, the, the mainstream, respectable kind of gay campaigning doesn't start until the end of the 80s, when Margaret Thatcher introduced uh, Clause 28, Okay, so Clause 28 is, could you just explain what that is? Yes, Clause 28 was an attempt to prevent uh, uh, young people and school children discussing homosexuality. So uh, Clause 28 was about making it illegal to to discuss homosexuality in schools and to instruct children uh, uh, in in the whys and wherefores of homosexuality. Uh, there was a, a campaign then against that, which resulted in a in a lobbying group called Stonewall, which was put together by the great and the good. All of a sudden, lots of actors and uh, leading gay personalities came out as gay. They hadn't been out before, but they suddenly came out. Uh, and this was in the context of the AIDS crisis as well. Uh, yeah, I meant to ask about that. Yeah, like... it was in the context of the AIDS crisis and that they... So the great and the good finally came out. So it became a bit and, more fashionable, a bit more trendy. And they were no longer, they were certainly not marginal people. They were leading personalities in, in the arts and in, in literature and so on, and in intellectual life. And so they started Stonewall as an extraordinarily successful lobbying group, uh, uh, which it certainly eclipsed all the efforts of the gay liberation movement of earlier times, if you see what I mean. Uh, and so it, it then t- takes a completely different shift uh, 
So by the eighties, I mean, you talked about the, you alluded to the sort of to the, the the AIDS crisis and how it sort of affected the gay community mm. and the perceptions of the gay community probably more so. Um, what what was happening in the eighties? You think in sort of terms of the development of capital? Was there was there a new sort of economy coming in under Thatcherism and Reaganism in America that uh, that uh, that fed into the into gay activism? Well, I don't know that it fed into the gay activism, but what it actually uh, did was it it broke up the old world decisively. And the the trends that were beginning to happen in the fifties and the late fifties into the sixties absolutely decisively happened uh, um, uh, uh, in the in the eighties in Britain. It was in the eighties that the coal industry was destroyed in the Great Coal Strike. That printing was destroyed by digitalization. Fleet Street was destroyed uh, uh, docking dock labor uh, that that was engaged in struggles in the early 70s to try and survive against uh, containerization was swept away so all the old props of the old industrial structures which supported the unions supported the uh, traditional attitudes towards the labor party and so on were swept away in the 80s and at the and at the same time, of course, you know, um, uh, we got Ziggy Stardust. We got all these marvelous things that were appearing from the seventies into the eighties uh, culturally. New romantics and that were completely uh, uh, much more powerful in their influence than the gay liberation movement. In fact, <laughs> that's the truth of that. Yeah, so they made it more normal. I think uh, the idea of, or the idea of difference more acceptable or palatable. And well, it was yeah, it was challenging. I mean, uh, I remember going to see. Um, uh, 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 oh God, I've forgotten his name. Lou Reed uh, uh, in, here in Manchester, and I was living in 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 Bradford at the time. And I came over to see Lou Reed uh, at a concert in Manchester, and uh, uh, the whole crowd was completely in, into the idea of uh, of uh, glam rock. And so there were all these. I was sitting in the in the gods in this theatre, and I suddenly realised I was actually surrounded by a load of football supporters. But they, because they all had powder blue clogs and were slapped up to the eyeballs, they all you got the impression that somehow they were different. But of course, of course, they were deeply disappointed by Lou Reed because Lou Reed came on and after he collapsed once and then he managed to recover himself but he was just a white face in a black suit so they had quite misunderstood what what, what, what Lou Reed the Velvet Underground was all about <laughs> but it was very interesting that collision between the, the, the popular popularizing of glam rock and, uh, and of, uh, of all these ideas and the um, uh, and the way that collided with uh, all sorts of social assumptions that these people actually continue to have. But Yet so, at the heart of it, in the backdrop of all of this, during the 80s was Thatcher's government's, uh, sorry, Clause um, 24, was it? No, sorry. Clause 28 was later. 28, the, yeah. yeah. no, Thatcher, Thatcher's mm. uh, 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 attack on the, on the unions and her attack on, on uh, 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 the idea of the public sector uh, and so on was all from the, from from day one, from 1979 onwards, uh, you know, that's what Thatcher was about. Uh, and, uh, but in fact, of course, Thatcher did not make British coal uh, 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 uncompetitive. Uh, she didn't actually uh, mean that, that uh, ensure that, that uh, the steel industry had to close. And so on. These these changes were global. <laughs> they were so yeah, so it's huge, the rise of globalization. Huge rust buckets in America too. You know, it wasn't it, it, Margaret Thatcher was the, the the politician that articulated the change and the need to change. She didn't bring about any of those changes. Right, that's that's the point. You know, and what was villainous about Margaret Thatcher is she never made any. She didn't make arrangements for dealing with the consequence of change. So you could close down all these coal mines, but she made no arrangement as to what you were going to do. What would happen to the community? What would happen to Barnsley if you close all the coal mines down? She made no arrangement for that. That's what was criminal about her, not the fact that she was bringing about these changes because she was merely responding to vast changes that were taking place anyway. So 
vast technical changes uh, were, were, were taking place uh, in the organization of the workplace and, and in the nature of industry and so on. So it's in that context that the old disciplines of the, of the working class, the old sexual and social disciplines, the norms of community, of neighborhood and so on, were broken down. Uh, and consequently, uh, it became easier for people to articulate different kinds of life, different ways of living. So les lesbians, and not just lesbians, but feminists, you know, the whole position of women, the whole struggle for women to live a different kind of life emerges very, very powerfully in the 70s and 80s. The idea of homosexuals living a different kind of, being able to live a different kind of life. So everybody was open up to the possibility that you didn't have to live in the way that your parents did, the way that your, your family did. Yeah, so you don't have to culturally reproduce. <laughs> That's right. And so, more, and therefore there was more yeah. freedom. And so Ziggy Stardust and all the rest of them were absolutely, you know, um, uh, emblematic of that, that you didn't have to do, be the same as the past. Yeah. Uh, the, the future was not going to be the same as the past. Do, do you think in sort of uh, the gay rights movement or the gay activism, there's a tension, in some sense, there's this desire to be different because you are different uh, from the convention that was existed at the time. But is, is, is there, is, does that then sort of butt heads with the idea that you need to sort of normalize it and make it, make it a new tradition? Well, I mean, I, th I think the, 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 the tension that you're alluding to is that nobody ever gets what they fight for. They always get something else. Right, and so so, <laughs> so so gay liberationists fought for gay liberation. We were against marriage, and we were against this, that, and the other. We were against the family, and so on. Uh, what we actually got was incorporation in into the wider heterosexual reality. Right, so so uh, our legal emancipation has resulted in in our in, in the recuperation uh, within the system and so homosexuals are now the same as everybody else as, as dolly parton said when she was asked dolly parton was asked uh, what do you think about gay marriage and she said well i don't see why they should be able to get out of it they've got they, they should put up with it like the rest of us good old dolly <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was very cute she's a marvelous woman but i thought that was a very cute way of dodging the and dealing with her constituency and her her fans which are terrible reactionary uh, uh, rednecks on the one hand and, and uh, metropolitan homosexuals on the other. So she was able to address both constituencies in this very astute way. Well, she's a very smart businesswoman. That's right. But the, but, the, but the interesting thing is that there's a lot of bewailing among, among homosexual uh, radicals of my uh, vintage about the loss of edge and about the, you know, the... The, uh, uh, the loss of, of radicalism and so on, and so that and that being gay has become mainstream. And of course, you can't have it both ways. You can't fight for equality and fight against uh, discriminatory laws. And when you get them, then complain <laughs> that the, 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 the police are marching in their uniforms on gay pride parades, you know. So, in, like in 1967, then, did you think that could happen? Did no, you? no, it was inconceivable. It was absolutely inconceivable. The idea that the police or the RAF lads or or um, uh, 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 the fire brigade or whatever would march on a gay pride parade in their uniforms was inconceivable. So you're glad to see it now? Yeah, I am glad to see it now. I mean, and so, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we've uh, uh, been incorporated in the, in the, uh, 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 in certainly legal and and in in major metropolitan areas in in the ordinary life of the society, yeah, uh, and that makes it clear that 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 uh, we're not emancipated. <laughs> <laughs> that we actually everybody needs emancipation just like the rest of us yeah. exactly <laughs> Dolly Parton's absolutely right so everybody uh, needs emancipating yeah. from the family and marriage and God knows what uh, but the, you can't make that demand until you until you've got equality yeah so going back to our chronology then I mean I guess overcoming sort of the AIDS crisis that must have been a very important moment to steal the gay movement I think and to steal sort of gay thinking against um, 
with all these sort of vacuous accusations that it was like, you know, curse from God and stuff like that on the gay community. I mean, it must have been hugely, a huge moment in uh, the gay culture, the response to the uh, AIDS crisis. Well, it was, but it's very contradictory in the, se- in the sense that that uh, the, the government's line was that don't die of ignorance. Everybody is at risk. Uh, I took a very different view. I wrote a pamphlet with uh, uh, Michael Fitzpatrick uh, called The Truth About the AIDS Panic, where we we said that it wasn't true that everyone was at risk, that only uh, uh, high-risk groups were at risk, i.e. Intra- intravenous drug users, um, people who had been travelling in, in uh, Central Africa and uh, homosexual men were at risk. Nobody else really was at risk. That's what we argued, and and uh, in terms of the the progress of the uh, of the um, uh, the epidemic, we were proved right it's, historically. It's turned out that we were absolutely right. Now, this uh, it, when we published that in the in the in the late eighties, but it's not. It's not the point was it wasn't exclusive to gay people. It was as important. Uh, well, no, but but the, but the point is that. The, the, the argument that uh, uh, that led to the idea of, of it, it actually intensified the idea that it was a gay plague. That the, 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 the government's response, and that led to the, the, the Clause 28. It actually led to, to, to reactionary. Uh, uh, the idea that everyone was at risk led to a focus on homosexuals as being the source of this... Uh, uh, this, this terrible this disease, terrible disease, disease yeah. right? And so the the, the, the gay organisations and and gay lobbying groups and so on actually leapt went in line with the government that everyone was at risk, and they did that in order to garner funds from various uh, public agencies and so on, uh, and that was kind of necessary for them. Subsequently, uh, great irony. Subsequently, they they had to then campaign for the regaying of AIDS. What they called the regaying of AIDS. Go on. <laughs> well, they had to they had to try and argue for a, a, a proper focus on 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 the homosexual community as being a special and necessary focus for for finance and so on and assistance in relation to fighting yeah, the infection, because of course. Uh, in, in, in Britain, almost nobody other than gay men was affected by 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 AIDS, or people who'd been uh, uh, who'd received infected blood products, or people who'd been infected abroad. Overwhelmingly, I forget what the figures are, but they're they're in my um, Mike's pamphlet and my pamphlet. Uh, uh, overwhelmingly, the 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 infection was was concentrated among gay men. It wasn't. It didn't exist outside the high risk uh, behaviours. Right? I, uh, mm, but there was a degree of moral panic. There was a degree, to... absolutely, absolutely. But um, that moral panic then resulted in in the clause twenty eight, which then resulted in in uh, Stonewall and the whole struggle too. So it was a contradictory series of developments. Uh, but it 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 it, was, it resulted in the mainstreaming of the discussion of homosexuality in a positive way. Right. So from a from a sort of a, a very tragic set of circumstances, some there were some positive consequences. Absolutely. Yeah. There there was, and Stonewall is a product of that. Right. The mainstreaming of the of the discussion of homosexuality. Now uh, you mentioned you mentioned the major. So we'll move on to the nineties and our uh, our part of history. So. Um, you mentioned the major government and its attempts to introduce uh, equalisation, um, but you said it was because of due to the sort of nature of the government and the Conservatives were in demise at the time, and the um, uh, House of Lords were uh, against. Yeah, the Tory party was broadly speaking much more reactionary than than, than their prime minister. Yeah, so it was in the nineties. Then was there? Do you think there was new economic developments, new developments in the nature of capitalism? That led to sort of cultural shifts, which further enabled gay movement. I think. Like, I think there was. I think. I think there was the 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 
completion or the not completion is the wrong word, but the 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 fulfilment of all these trends that had been going on. So the nineties actually saw the end of the kind of industrial, the decisive end of the, in the, in the uh, uh, industrial life, uh, the decisive end of the role of the working class being present in society in a political way. And the, the, Which we're still living the, today, I think, yeah. The, 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 exactly, and the, the fracturing of, uh, of those old certainties. Uh, um, so the, the, the 90s was a period where, where sec- sections of the left had to come to terms with that. And in fact, Major is trying to come to terms with it. Major is not supporting Clause 28. He's not supporting any of these repressive measures. He's trying to fight against it. Blair comes in, is absolutely decisively against uh, 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 against traditional uh, 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 notions of class conflict and so on, and in favour of the modern economy and in favour of the modern dispensation. So Blair comes out with these statements like, uh, no bosses and workers anymore, we're all on the same side. Now, obviously, only a multimillionaire can believe such nonsense, but the but it represented a reality, uh, a, a, a political reality. So the kinds of process I'm talking about, the very large process that st- takes place significantly from the, the, the late 50s right the way through to the end to the ends of the 80s is the destruction of the industrial world and the kind of culture that went with it. And do you think that has been a positive thing then for or a positive contributor to well, progressive game? Well, one of the things that the left has, broadly speaking, never been able to deal with is that you only get uh, gay emancipation in, in highly advanced capitalist societies, which are post-industrial. <laughs> Everywhere else you get repression, and that is true to this day. Everywhere else apart from, from in, in, in uh, advanced uh, capitalist uh, societies, post-industrial societies, everywhere else you get repression of homosexuals to this day. Uh, and that's a very interesting... That's <laughs> interesting for a Marxist, that. that uh, well, I mean, that's a different discussion maybe, but yeah. Right, but I mean, you know, I think that's entirely consistent because the, the, the nature of... Uh, atomization, the nature of not living, uh, having to live in a traditional family, in a traditional working class community, in a traditional industry, in a mining village or in an industrial uh, neighborhood, whatever, with the trade union and the working men's club and all of those things was absolutely necessary if you were going to be out and homosexual. Right? You couldn't be be free in that. So no, you would get beaten up. Quite so. The 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 the, the process of of individuation uh, and so on, bewailed by the left, and atomization bewailed often by the left and the right. A, I think yeah, yeah, it, yeah absolutely. Uh, is is actually uh, 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 something that makes the emancipation of homosexuals possible when when the whole of economic life was bound in the family in an artisanal sense uh, up to certainly up until the beginning of the 18th century then homosexuality had no public existence at all uh, uh, same-sex relations existed within the court and within the army and the navy and in maybe in the monasteries and in religious institutions but not in the ordinary life of the society it's only when you get society becomes dominated by what Adam Smith calls uh, uh, commercial society, what we would now call capitalism, only with the emergence of that beginning of the 18th century in a city like London, does it become, do homosexuals begin to appear as a special category of persons? They're not called homosexuals, but uh, uh, there are institutions like molly clubs and uh, uh, molly houses and so on, where people who live outside uh, the context of the pro- family as the centre of production actually are able to to exercise their desire for same-sex relations. Yeah, that does sort of go against, I guess, a sort of a lot of the things, the shiblets of the left that uh, that you talk about. Like, I mean, the the idea that atomization 
it can be progressive. You know, the idea of individualization is a progressive thing. That's, I mean, conservatives and left-wingers will limit that. Like, left-wingers yeah. in terms of having wanting a more collective uh, notion of society, right-wingers in sense of, uh, I don't know, it might undermine sort of the traditional bonds of family and community. Yeah, but, it, but it, 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 you see, in the long view, uh, it is the case that capitalism actually removes production from the family and from the homestead into into uh, specialized institutions like factories and mills and, and mines and so on um, and that in the process of doing that in a in the instances of that society it actually opens up the possibility of people living a different kind of life of being uh, of, of having a sexual life not related to but perhaps the, being also being candidates for you know, what a, the traditional... Well, well they became candidates in. for the gallows. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> quite. But I mean, I was supposed to talk, I said, in Blair, when he introduced the uh, the uh, civil partnership legislation. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you could be... I mean, I, I know a lot of people still have problems with that, but I mean, a lot of people see that as sort of homophobic legislation, given how that that moment happened in the, ni- in the late 90s, I guess, uh, well, what was your feelings towards that? Did you see that as a, again as a positive step? Or well, it was it was a positive mm-hmm. step. I mean, people like Peter Tatchell opposed it for very good reasons. I don't disagree with his reasons, but I, I so support what was, it. What was Peter Tatchell's position? Well, it, it, it wasn't equality. It wasn't marriage. That was his objection, and he was quite right, of course. But I was all in favour of the, the civil civil partnerships came in because of the Church of England. Mm. Religious institutions did not want it to be called marriage, right? And that's why, that under the under the terms of of a civil partnership, you could not have religious music or religious words uh, at the, at the marriage uh, ceremony in the registry office, right? It was, it was uh, that was the provision, uh, and that was called then swept away by equal marriage. But it was a it was merely a, a religious objection because there was no material difference between uh, uh, between civil partnerships and and uh, marriage. No, no material difference really at all. So, so it's to do with nomenclature. Culture and also kind of cultural appreciation. So I was in favour of of the extension to marriage, because once you've got equal marriage, you've then got and you've got equal age of consent, and you've got equal access to insurance and to inheritance and so on. Then you've got legal equality and political power and capital as well. Yeah, yeah, you've got legal equality, legal and material equality, and that that. and I'm saying, you know, that is the basis for some people oppose that. People like Spiked Online would oppose that because they would say that equality is not important or we shouldn't fight for equality. But the truth of the matter is, before you need, before you can fight for something other than equality, for emancipation, you need to have a, an equal starting block. On that ground, can I ask, as another, as a fellow son of Aaron, um, what did you think of the uh, uh, the equal marriage referendum in Ireland uh, a couple of years ago? I thought I thought it was uh, extraordinary. I mean, the 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 thing that really struck me about it was that every single voting district, bar one, whose name I, eludes me, but there was one voting district, common. right? There was one voting district that that didn't pass it. But every single it was voting, still quite close, yeah. Yeah, every single voting because uh, I expected it to be. Concentrated in the fashionable parts of Dublin, uh, uh, but in fact, the, the fact that the truth of the matter is that old cultures, lay Irish redneck farmers, must have voted for gay equality. <laughs> I, I know some. I know some who did. Yeah. <laughs> so the when you, when you think about that <coughs> and what that represents historically, it's just extraordinary. Just extraordinary, uh, the and how splendid it is that the the kind of clerical fascism of the Irish Free State was finally swept away. Because I mean, that's the way I I see Ireland. I suppose is that that uh, in the twenties and thirties and into the forties and even into the fifties, uh, it was Adolphus like. You know, Adolphus was the dictator in in Austria before the Nazis took over, and he was a kind of clerical fascist. And I, I 
think of 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 the Irish Free State and then the early Irish Republic as being a, a clerical fascist regime set up. Yeah, they have distinctly theocratic elements. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, the the equal marriage thing was a an extraordinary uh, uh, confirmation that this was over, decisively over. Of course, it'd been over some time, but it, uh, it had to be underwritten. Yeah, and there was a democratic uh, yeah. vote as well. There was yeah. a democratic installation of equal marriage within that's the constitution. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, so uh, I guess we've been talking for quite a while and we haven't even remotely got to the things we planned to talk about. But uh, I was wondering, just in terms of that discussion of uh, the uh, sort of gay liberation, gay activism, and sort of the terms of like sort of the technological and economic developments from, say, from the beginning of the millennium, well, where do you think we're at now or how are you feeling about uh, being gay in 2018? Well, I, th- I think that uh, I think it's okay. Uh, that's all I can say. But the only people that it is not okay for, I think, is very young people in schools, teenage, young teenagers in schools, and maybe youngsters in the universities. And I think that that actually they have a, they continue to have a tough time uh, because of the. Uh, and this is paradoxical in the 50s nobody talked about anything right but now because people talk about homosexuality all the time uh, youngsters might want to come out and uh, and be articulate about their homosexual feelings when they're 14 or 13 or 14 or 15 what do you think about that and I think that's good for them but it is also catastrophic for them because they then open themselves up to the to, internet, to social media, <laughs> to bullying in the schools, and so on. So I think that the, that gay youngsters have quite a tough time, right? And uh, I know I know older people often go on. Well, it's nothing like we had to put up with. Well, that's true. But when everybody's tough time is their tough time. So, so it, does every old person. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so everybody's tough time is their tough time, and that's the, there's no. It's not transferable. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's not. It's probably not the best thing to do to hierarchize suffering. Exactly, it's not. It's not transferable or comparable. So, so that's my view: is that the, the young gay people have a tough time, and of course, homosexual people who live in less developed capitalist uh, setups or in the more in, conservative parts of advanced capitalist setups. Yeah, well, they're, they're, you know, they're not advanced. I mean, that's the point, you know. In advanced capitalist societies, uh, uh, the situation of homosexuals is startlingly improved and improving. In, a, in, in less developed capitalist societies, the old regimes operate. Which is why you are, uh, you describe yourself once, I heard you uh, describe yourself once, as a communist who's got great respect for capitalism. Well, indeed, indeed, but that's a long tradition. Karl Marx had great. Karl Marx himself, indeed, yeah. You only have to need the read the Communist Manifesto to see that. Uh, are you hopeful for the left? Are you? No, not at all. Oh dear, <laughs> not at all. I mean, I, I, I don't know where 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 things are going. Are you hopeful for progress? Maybe might be a bit more helpful question. Do you think? Do you think there'll be progressive things in the future? Given of all course, you've seen? yeah, of course they will. Uh, the the mass of people are not fools. The mass of ordinary folk are perfectly capable of of distinguishing, uh, you know, the, the 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 way to go in all sorts of circumstances, and I'm not in not, I'm not in favour at all of the idea that that uh, it's all doom and gloom. You have faith in people, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I mean the the, the truth of the matter is that the. You know, you can see this over the over the referendum. You know, everybody's saying, "Oh, you know, people voted the wrong way and all that." Well, you know, they may well have voted the wrong way, but they uh, the mass of the mass of working class people do not need to be told that capitalism will not give them peace, enduring peace, or equality or anything else. They well, they don't need to be told this by the left. 
Most the left spent a lot of time telling people what they already know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, they so don't know we should be telling people. Yeah, they they already, know. you know, the mass of ordinary people know that life's not fair, that the rich uh, are, are screwing them, <laughs> that the, the, the politicians are a heap of shit. The, the, the mass of ordinary people know all this. They do not need to be told it by the left. Right. Okay. So I've got one last question. Yeah, I've taken up enough of your time, Don. Um, why did you get a tattoo? <laughs> oh, because... Uh, because uh, uh, so, uh, so people don't know, Don has got fantastic tattoos yeah, of they, a they dragon, right is they, it? Yeah, and I've got sailors on the top. The sailors on the top of his right arm. Sailors, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to reveal to you people your age, but I, I mentioned your, the year of your birth, but... Uh, this is a recent. Uh... It is. It's a. It's what I call a late life crisis. <laughs> <laughs> so that so that that um, they'll be nice and sharp as I'm pushed into the into the uh, crematorium. Uh, it, they, will be, they, will, they will not be faded uh, like uh, uh, like most people of my age. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, I think we leave it at that. Thank you so much for talking. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Well. Our theme tune is Love the Government by Il Papa Giraffe and is licensed under Creative Commons. You can follow us on iTunes or your preferred podcast app.